Welcome once again to Shift of the Gaze, our theology for our world. This is Michael Kimpan, along with our co-host, Dr. Joanne Marie Terrell, Associate Professor of Theology, Ethics, and the Arts at Chicago Theological Seminary, and author of Power in the Blood, The Cross in the African-American Experience, as well as the forthcoming The Way, the Wheel, and the Cross toward a womanist phenomenology of interreligiosity. We are pleased to build upon the foundational framework for Shift of the Gaze, which we explored in our previous series, Dr. Terrell's Ten Tenets of Art. These are available for you to review in episodes one through five. We begin our second series of the podcast, Sacramentality and Uncommon Good, with episode six, during which we will reflect on the questions, what is the common good? And how do we achieve it? Another set of questions we wish to ask includes the following. Is there something more to be desired than simply the common good? And can creative, sacramentally-minded people of the world generate enough social, spiritual, and political goodwill to achieve an uncommon good? It is abundantly clear to me and to many that the common sense and sacramental values of love, cooperation, and communality are the glue that has held humanity together and that impels us towards a brighter day. Even with a historical record riddled with horrible events, even as we witness the concurrent and admittedly powerful determination of evil systems to maintain themselves, Whenever we lean into these commitments, it inspires hope and assures people of good goodwill of our continued relevance and sacred worth. It helps us to see ourselves and all other people, regardless of their religion, race, creed or nationality, sexual orientation or gender identity or any other distinctive difference, under the same disposition of vulnerability, having the same basic needs for food, clothing, shelter, love, peace, joy, self-determination, understanding, grace, and the free exercise of their creativity. In our context, knowing the historical record of the genocide, enslavement, anthropological impoverishment, and economic ruination of entire peoples, all of our human vulnerability— Why should advocacy of climate protections, universal health care, affordable housing and higher education, prison abolition, a hospitable immigration policy, and a comprehensive social services safety net constitute a moral conundrum for Americans? And this is the case for citizens across the spectrum of religious faiths, spiritual traditions, political affiliations, sexual identities, and ethnic backgrounds, having a variety of needs themselves, despite often not having the means themselves to meet these very same needs. For many Western Christians and other religious and non-religious folks, our thought processes are steeped in the philosophy of individualism that buttresses our capitalist foundations, and whether we admit it or not, Many of our daily conversations, sermonizing, and habits of mind, rather than reflect the communal values of our various founding religious leaders and the communities they left behind, reflect a commitment to spiritual and social Darwinism, the survival of the fittest, a kind of dog-eat-dog existence, a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps mentality. We even make the audacious claim 
to be able to do bad all by ourselves. So entrenched in individualism are we, individualism that Scripture putatively supports and that the experience of our own individuality concretizes. But I think here I need to make a distinction between individualism and individuality. Without question, human beings experience our embodied selves as individuals because we have independent thoughts, utterance, sensation, and mobility separately from all other persons. Encased in flesh, bounded by bodies in a roughly six-foot by three-foot proprium or sense of self, we sometimes experience ourselves as alone in the world and are compelled by circumstances or driven by our callings to the metaphorical wilderness again and again. Sometimes the peculiar loneliness of our station and that of our particular generation is unrelenting. Dr. James Cone spoke about the loneliness in the vocation of a theologian in his final book, Said I Wasn't Gonna Tell Nobody, The Making of a Black Theologian. His rejection of personal piety and fiery, faithful recentering of the norm of justice in Christian messaging earned him ideological enemies. His clarity, though, garnered him an audience and a location, an isolation, really, from which to live out his divine imperative, impelled by love and poignantly compelled to loneliness, which he described as almost a standard in the vocation of a theologian, to which I can personally attest when I see myself as an individual navigating the world alone. In fact, only very recently did I forgive my younger self for capitulating to the individualism that society proffers and for believing myself to be alone in the world and often acting on it without accountability to the people who valued me and who gave shape to my individuality, who taught me, moreover, to live intentionally into an ever-expanding sense of community. It is tempting to see ourselves as merely individuals or even our family and friends as a collection of individuals brought together through marriage, adoption, or other ways of relating, held together by common interest or by common good. In these interlocking relationships, individuals can even forego our personal interests or desires to achieve a common good for something that is beneficial to everyone concerned. We may even act altruistically, surrendering our righteous claims to someone or some goal we prize more highly than ourselves or our plans. Yet too often it is in the context of family systems where we learn that the world can be a hostile place, where powerful neuroses and self-interest can dominate, where unhealed traumas can be replicated. Such isolative experiences can shrink our perception of what is common and what is good, as well as our perception of the world of which we are part and to which we are or should be accountable. The smaller the circle, the smaller the person, the smaller the sense of accountability. Drawing the circle wider means taking responsible action to get to the healing, refine our moral commitments, exercise every bit of our creativity, inculcate new habits of mind, and shift our gaze to the truth of our own sacred worth, 
the worth of all persons, and the worth of all creation. You've named the isolation of individualism as problematic and used the analogy of drawing the circle wider as a responsibility of the sacramentally-minded individual, a message to which our deeply divided and polarized country, particularly at this time, needs to hear and truly listen. Expanding the circle to include the so-called other is, I think, the practical consequence of hospitality as the first religion, a foundational truth within Abrahamic traditions which these same religious communities have historically distorted into inappropriate and entirely unbiblical anti-gay rhetoric such as in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah found in Genesis 19. It is both common and commonplace in our society to reject individuality, especially as it relates to sexuality and sexual identity, rather than to celebrate unique distinctions amongst individuals and community, settling into homogenous circles of exclusion rather than patterning ourselves after the radical inclusion exemplified in the very persons of Jesus and the Buddha, for example. I'm always amazed at my own and other folks' capacity to read our own habituated social mores, political biases, and spiritual impositions into Scripture, seeking doctrinal precision rather than any impetus towards transformation and the realization of a common good in which all eight billion of us can flourish and love and enjoy one another. We don't put enough effort into that. So true. As I stated in our most recent podcast, doing good is quite common, actually. We may even notice countless people doing good around us every day if we simply have the sensibility to take notice. What is historically uncommon, however, is for these people of, as you say, good goodwill, to share their resources and knowledge within their collective communities, for folks to engage in intentional collaboration rather than for individuals and organizations to compete for donor dollars and platform. Many times this perceived contention, combined with the scarcity mindset, limits the range and effectiveness of the critical practice of our plotting goodness together, stifling what womanist biblical scholar Dr. Will Gaffney calls our sacred imagination, and strangles the very life out of the eschatological hope in which we have professed to believe. Our culture's orientation around free market capitalism as freedom perpetuates this sense of individualism and self-preservation at the expense of community. In the words of Dr. Bo Myung So, professor of theology and cultural criticism at Chicago Theological Seminary, capitalism alienates workers from their neighbors, from the products they produce, and capitalism alienates the workers from the world in which they live. In fact, the product produced is symptomatic and symbolic of the alienation created through capitalism. The major consequence of capitalism is alienation. This individualism and ultimately alienation impacts and is impacted by dominant theologies within Protestant evangelical circles specifically, particularly around soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. As we consciously critique consequences of capitalism and ask how these affect other areas of our lives, including and perhaps especially in religious conviction, the consciously living, sacramentally-minded individual will prioritize opportunities to think creatively and to create, to find and live into the freedom to love God and neighbor, the express purpose of religious community. 
In our ostensibly Christian context, capitalism has deeply influenced not only how churches operate as organizations, but also how preachers and theologians operate within that system. In order to affect the cultural conscience effectively through the influences of religious thought and theology, a creative alternative for doing theology, living out our theological convictions and thinking theologically within these faith traditions, is essential to social reform. This seems to me to be the challenge. This may be obvious, but I believe that God is the most interesting subject in the world and that theology, God talk, is the most critical subject of our times, perhaps for all times. It has certainly been central in the working out of history and the creation of the fallen world in which we are living, the violent and uncertain times in which we find ourselves on war watch, the economic systems that fail the majority of the world's population and that make the already wealthy 1% even more wealthy, where religious communities are anything but hospitable, building figurative, prospective, and literal walls every place we look, between Palestine and Israel, at the southern ports of Europe, in the southern portion of these disunited states, unnecessary theological walls within the ecumenical church, and between religious traditions that dishonor the actual work of the teachers and prophets who pointed out ways to the enlightenment, justice, salvation, and felicity we all seek, especially the poor and oppressed, the children, the women, the despised men to whom Jesus and the Buddha both explicitly gave a preferential option. Both early Christianity and Buddhism, and to an extent Islam and other traditions, posed critiques of the power structures in which they were formed. These critiques were of the caste system, ethnocentrism, imperialism, and sexism for historical contexts that were vastly different from ours. Yet, in more recent times, people in these very same religious traditions reinscribed that which our leaders criticized while they were trying to show us various ways to an expanded, expansive notion of the common good. The idea of the common good is something for which we all should be ordering our lives around as faithful devotees, whatever our tradition, and as citizens of the world. But because the meaning of words can get lost in the impetus of a rhetorical flourish, because they can seem vague or unattainable, it may be necessary to rebrand the good of which we are capable, that transcends our individualism, that centers justice, that elevates the marginalized, that invites all people into the exercise of the common sense, sacramental values of love, cooperation, and communality. Your work in founding the Uncommon Good Collective has deeply impressed me as a powerful example of reclaiming something of meaningful faith for the whole world. What is uncommonly good about the organization is that it is just that, a pragmatic vehicle for the whole world to express our love for one another and all of creation, rather than for those we find within our restrictive, homogeneous circles. You've drawn the circle wider. In recent years, and even now on this podcast with you, Dr. Terrell, I've been privileged to develop rich relationships with a growing number of individuals doing absolutely incredible things in our world. 
and have consistently positioned myself as a connector or bridge builder between these friends and organizations, intentionally seeking to cross and lead others across the boundaries put in place by self-appointed gatekeepers. Our listeners can find out more about Uncommon Good Collective by visiting our website, uncommongoodcollective.org. In the past two decades of intensely engaging in nonprofit and ministry-related work, in church offices, pulpits, and parachurch ministries, as well as outside the four walls of any religious organization or institution, I've found that my being responsible with the richness of relationships provides an opportunity for me to serve as a conduit for these uncommonly good endeavors. This has, in many ways, become my life's work and serves as the purpose of Uncommon Good Collective to be a shared resource organization providing services and funding the work of communities and individuals who are committed to building the better world that we know in our hearts is possible. What we are trying to do both on this Shift of the Gaze podcast and Uncommon Good Collective is invite meaningful conversation and collaboration toward this end. In Episode 7 of this series on sacramentality and uncommon good, We will continue to respond to the questions we pose at the front of this episode. What is the common good, and how do we achieve it? Is there something more to be desired than simply the common good? And can the creative, sacramentally-minded people of the world generate enough spiritual, social, and political goodwill to achieve an uncommon good? In the coming weeks, as we explore these questions... As always, we hope you dance.